0: Welcome to the Carmen Murray Show, where we have conversations about 21st century business and culture. To be warriors of change, marketers must understand tomorrow's problems today. Being marketing fit means your business remains healthy and profitable. In this University of Johannesburg Department of Marketing Management miniseries, We'll debate the challenges CMOs are facing, the changing MarTech landscape, and emerging data conundrums. Together with our expert guests, we'll unpack corporate culture, emotional intelligence, and the customer experience this. And now, from the Solid Gold Studios, together with the University of Johannesburg Department of Marketing Management, here is your host, Carmen Murray. Hey, 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 Future Fit Tribe. Welcome back to another episode. As
1: you know, this is probably the first time that you hear about this episode. This is in collaboration with the University of Johannesburg. So basically all the brains and the socialites. Well, we do have quite a lot of socialites in this In this forum, but um, today we're going to unpack a topic um, very dear to my heart, and it's been something that's been coming up in the boardrooms quite a lot. And I feel that it's time that we actually have a real conversation about it as 2020 is approaching us. And it's all about, first of all, how to choose your futurist for your business pop futurist that's coming up, and you know, leading companies astray. I want to actually use this opportunity um, before I introduce you to our guest to tell you a little story. So my husband is a crazy football fan. He he supports Leeds United. Now, he calls Leeds United his religion. Okay. (laughs) just to give you a very brief um, history in the background is they used to be in the premier league. They used to win pre- the premier league. They used to do exceptionally well. Lucas Radebe actually played for them. He was their captain and then um, they got relegated and they have been sitting in the championship league for many, 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 many years. And a guy by the name of Andrea Radrizani bought the club and he decided he wants to do whatever it takes in a, like almost half a million pounds or billion, I don't know, lots of money. And he had to take his life savings and all the money that he's made in his career, and he put his bets on doing this. And he then decided that he is going to buy Leeds United. And the goal and the objective for them was to make it to the Premier League. And last year, they announced Marcelo Bielsa, as the coach. He's one of the top coaches in the world. He doesn't speak English. He has to have translators around him. It's qu- quite a phenomenal story. And they used this opportunity. Because they thought that they were going to go up. And they actually created a documentary. But they they, they, they didn't quite make it. They were in the top four or five. They didn't make it. But they decided to keep Marcelo Bielsa. Which cost them a fortune. For another year. In order to take them to the top because they have some unfinished business. Now, the reason I'm telling you is the documentary, it's called Take Us Home, um, launched last week, and the Leeds United fans went ballistic. Um, they're probably one of the most loyal football fans in football ever in the world. It opens up with Andrea Rajozani with his advisor, sitting there making a decision, and the discussions about this big decision of... First of all, buying the club. Second of all, investing in somebody like Marcelo Bielsa and getting him on board and using him to fix the business, which is a huge investment, but also to get them to the top. The reason I'm sharing this with you is that so many times in corporate businesses, we don't affiliate ourselves with the right advisories the people to advise us as to where are we going, are we making the right decisions, do we have the proof that we're making the right decisions, and yes, we we do see CEOs that have advisors, but I do think CMOs need to have advisors too, because it's impossible to navigate through the MarTech landscape, impossible to navigate through the trends, social cultures, and everything that is happening, so you have to align yourself with the right people. And lately what's been happening is like all these people are popping up from nowhere, you've never heard of them before and then all of a sudden they are the most incredible like futurist. And for me knowing is doing, you have to become a practitioner of what you do in order to live it out because if you don't understand both sides of the story, how can you inform a strategy? I'm the customer experience queen, so I live, I'm the voice of the customer, but I also have to immerse myself in the business to understand what their problems are before I can actually tell them how to fix their problems. So that brings me to the episode that we're going to unpack today. What is futurism? What is this pop futurist thing? Why are people feeling so uncertain? What's the form of accountability, etc.? So without further ado, we've got my friend, Trailblazer, Women with a mind of steel, like goodness. (laughs) And she doesn't take shit. Anyway, so we've got her in the room, Bronwyn Williams. She's from Flux Strengths. Welcome. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. And then we've got the legendary um, Beata Stella Mulder from the Department of uh, Marketing Management at UJ. But she's a doctor. So, so she studied a PhD. So tell our audience quickly, what is this PhD um, that you studied? And I did my PhD
2: in luxury brands and I did it at KTH in Stockholm, Sweden. For me, it was all about identifying um, market segments and understanding how luxury brands are co-created in the South African market in particular.
1: Since um, I've aligned myself with the Department of Marketing Management and I see what PhDs look like, they're like encyclopedias. It's impossible to imagine that any human being can write something like that. Never mind, read through it. <laughs> anyway, next guest is Head of Department, UJ, Department of Marketing Management, Marius Waite. How are you?
3: Put your teeth back, <laughs>
1: Listen,
3: yeah, I'm Marius. I'm the head of department at uh, UJ for marketing management.
1: And what is your PhD? Also a doctor, please. Yep. Yeah.
3: Um, my PhD was on I'm one of the few people in South Africa who has a PhD in sales education. So my PhD was all about sales education and how to train people up to be salespeople. That and was it was
1: intense. I can imagine. And has it changed?
3: It's like one of those things, you you when you are say you're an Olympic athlete, I can't train you to be an Olympic athlete. There's got to be some inherent skills and things that you are born with, talent that you're born with. I firmly believe that, although some people say that you can make a salesperson, there's got to be some inherent talent somewhere in there to be successful. Or else you'll just be mediocre the rest of your life. What do you think about that, Monwens?
4: Well, I'm going to talk about the future.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Where's the future of sales going? <laughs> First of all, maybe you can enlighten us and just tell us what is the difference between futures, pop futures? What are all these things that people are throwing out? What is the climate out there at the moment?
4: Okay, so to start with, there's Very many different types, as you said, of futurists, but pretty much anyone can call themselves a futurist. That's the one thing because it's one of those careers or jobs that essentially you have no accountability for because you're always predicting something that's coming at you. So it's great if you wanting to build yourself a profile, get on the speaking circuit, maybe weasel your way into a corporate boardroom because you can just say, I'm a futurist. And if you have an interesting story to tell, it's quite easy to seduce corporates and boards and managers into buying into your vision of the future if it's exciting enough. Mm. But there's quite a big difference between those sort of motivational speaker type futurists and people that have actually studied the future. And one of the first telltale signs you can see between the two is that pop futurists will typically tell you what is going to happen Mm-hmm. Which is impossible because mm-hmm. nobody knows about the future, whereas a uh, more academic futurist will talk about what could happen in the future, and then mm. maybe what should happen if we take conscious steps to get there. I love that,
1: so it's almost like this is what I love about so 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 just to put in perspective, so I talk a lot about um getting businesses' future fit, but for me getting businesses' future fit is look at the future, but then almost tra- um uh travel back in time and go back to where you are currently and see how you can change the course of where that future is going if you don't like what you're seeing exactly so a
4: good futurist will help you direct a course to get you towards the preferred future for yourself for your organization for even your country depending on who they're working with but there's no guarantees with the future because it hasn't happened yet the future is very complex and it's full of many interactive chaotic systems from humans to natural resources to everything else yeah that's the other warning bell for pop futurists is they tend to focus on the shiny technology because that's what put bums in seats at those big conferences everyone wants to hear about flying cars and you know human clones and drones and all that awesome science fiction stuff but typically your pop futurists might not then consider the implications and the ripple effects and mm. other systems all those other environmental factors that interact mm. with technology because the future is not linear either there's too many things going yeah. on for us to be able to
1: project that forward yeah. it's almost like an equation I mean there's there's so many things that you need to think about so I, I, I recall somebody I can't remember who, who said it and like in five years no nobody's gonna have to pay for data they use the United States and other people's studies to inform that, but if you look at what's happening currently in our landscape i mean we have hashtag data must fall right (laughs) um we our data is too expensive um we we still have rural areas that's on 3g people spend most i think they spend like 20 to 30 percent of their salaries just to 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 have access to data people that are digitally illiterate so i cannot understand how that big migration will happen by 2022 Yeah, unlikely. (laughs) Um, And and those things are what I think is where the problem lies. And I'm one of those people. It's like, I'm going to hide behind Jeff Bezos on this one from Amazon. He says it so profoundly. He's like, the people that chases all the shiny objects are the ones that are focused on short-lived projects, campaigns, and business models. And that's that's where the difference is. And I think it's like having a clear path. Yes, that's where the future is going. But you kind of need to, to know that it's not just about technology. It's an enabler. Yeah, it's just one of many factors Correct. going into this cauldron of what could
2: happen going Correct. forward. I think for me, what I want to ask in particular is that you see a lot of these. It's almost like when you're in business, it's like our version of reading the stars or the horoscopes. Yeah. When in December and January – you know, you're kind of relaxing with your holiday and you want to check out, you know, the trends that are coming up. So what have you seen, for example, with business trends that people have been writing that have been published in the popular press? Um, were there a few of those trends where you've seriously been frowning and you were thinking, hmm, where did people get this stuff from?
4: Yeah, I suppose the obvious one would be the whole flying cars thing. I mean, like mm. everyone says, okay, well, great, we don't need to. Where are we going? We don't need any roads. <laughs> Uber. That would be fantastic. Would be but floor. Yeah. <laughs> if you look at the social trends going along with that, we're not going to own our own flying cars, even mm. if the technology is available. We've still got all this infrastructure around us that's yeah. built into the petrol-based economy. We haven't even switched over to electric vehicles yet. So it's going to take a lot longer than we think. And by the time we get there, ownership models would have changed. People aren't owning vehicles either. Mm, yeah. So your own personal Flying car, you know. Mm. Shame, I don't think it's going to happen for most of us. I think you have <laughs> Probably to be a toy for the rich, yeah. yeah or well. you'll get to jump in and out of one, maybe if it belongs to someone else. <laughs> but even so, I mean, if we think about it, I mean, helicopters have been around since. For almost a hundred years, mm-hmm. and we ah. still
2: don't all have a helicopter, <laughs> yeah but uh, so true. but I mean, what do you think is the media's responsibility also in publishing this kind of stuff? Yes. well, that's <laughs> the
4: thing. I think we we need to separate between positive and normative features, so a positive feature would be something like just like in economics. We're like extrapolating a trend and saying this mm. is what's likely to happen if this current trajectory carries on, if say birth rates continue in this direction, or if adoption onto electric vehicles carries on like this, then we can anticipate a little bit into the future if that trend continues. But that's obviously has to come with a huge health warning. Yeah. And it's just like with economics again and share prices, you know, past performance is no guarantee of future results. Mm. But it is what we would say the most likely future. Where it becomes dangerous is when we start extrapolating into normative futures, into what should be.
0: Mm. And we start
4: having people with very powerful voices, those pop futurists, again, if they've got a large public platform, maybe politicians, maybe big technologists like your Elon Musks or your Steve Jobses, people that have a voice and have the ability to actually change that future. And when they start talking about their version of the future and that their very narrow preferred version of the future is the only future that's being spoken about. The very act of speaking about these things can help bring them into being. Mm. And that's where the responsibility of media and marketers once again comes Mm. to the fore and that we have to start saying that the future is being projected by those with the loudest voice or the biggest Mm. megaphone. It's not necessarily the future that we want to live in. Your utopia Mm. might be my dystopia and we should be fighting for more futures not for less. Mm. We should be fighting to broaden that cone of possibility
2: Mm. that we talk Mm. about when we talk about futures rather than narrow it down to the loudest voice or the biggest vision. I I think it's also what, what kind of stands out for me with what you said there is that it's almost like people like this have the ability to co-create the future because yes. they've got this yes. massive impact with what they say and it's almost as if you know if you just think of how investments and markets and those kind of things do where you go i mean when people like that talk you know stuff tends to want to lend itself to co-create into that direction and i think that's something which yeah. is really worth further discussion and 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 you know what yeah, what should be explored a bit more to look at these impacts, for me, especially coming from an academic perspective.
3: I sometimes also think that um, if you listen to the Elon Musks and and those guys and Richard Branson's and their vision of the future, it's it's sometimes out of the reach or out of the understanding of the immediate person. Um, I mean, Elon Musk is talking about sending rockets to the moon and uh, Steve, uh, uh, um, Richard Branson wants to take people to Mars and all of that. I don't think although it sounds nice on paper and it might even happen in the next five years, but it will be out of reach for the, for us. Yeah. We will never be able to, I don't think I'll go to Mars in my lifetime. I don't think my kids will go. It'll take you
1: seven
4: years to get
3: there. Maybe you you
4: won't be able to come back. I won't be able to come
3: back. Yes. Yeah. It's going to take you seven years to get there, to spend one day there and then come back. So I think sometimes those things are also called out of context. I think, we need to focus on the immediate future. Correct. I think that is far more vital for us, and that has an impact in our direct environment. Our, our direct impact on my personality will be the five- to ten-year projection from this day forward. Yeah. And I also sometimes think that people, if you listen to the news and you listen to, to uh, talks on this topic, that people sometimes put themselves at the end of this journey. I want to create a robot. I want to create a flying car but they give no impact to the process of getting there. The Mm. process needs to be developed. Mm. Mm -hmm. And um, because you sometimes speak to companies that, no, we want to have a robot. We want to have an in-store robot by 2015. On 2015, we've gone past that, 2025. (laughs) But in the Thanks meantime, the, <laughs> the technology needs to be developed, and and yeah. we need to give we need to give attention to the process. Mm. You opened up in the beginning, and you see that we jump, we sometimes jump the processes. Mm. I think the processes are important at the moment, mm. and how we Love develop that. those. Awesome. yeah.
4: Definitely. I would also say the trade-offs are a big thing there because the consequences of having that robots or that shiny flying car in the sky and all of that comes with trade-offs in the other spheres Mm. of the environment, comes with social trade-offs comes with economic trade-offs. Yeah. Comes with all these things that start that start to affect yeah. whether we really want that. Because we think about that shiny prize at the end of the road, we forget about the costs that we yeah. to have to incur to get there.
1: And I mean also just just to bring it back um, looking at Africa. I mean yes, Africa has the ability to leapfrog. Look what we've done with mobile. I mean, um, drones will play a very important role to getting medicines in remote areas and replacing the terrible roads and having drone highways. I think Uganda's got to aim with the World Economic Forum, according to the World Economic Forum, by 2025 to have a drone highway in place. Look, I mean, all of those things solves African problems, which are great. But then one also has to take a step back and think, okay... We're pushing for all these bright, new, shiny objects. But how many, and and further to Marius's point, how many people can actually take that up? I mean, we still have people that don't have access to smartphones. And we still have people that don't have access to digital. And we already want to migrate them into a car. And most people drive taxis here in South Africa. And I mean, like, I'm just trying to, to you know, and further to, to Beata's point, it's like this whole idea of co-creation. Like, how, how do we overcome poverty? How do we overcome people being left behind? Because it feels to me, the more we're so fixated about these bright and shiny objects, the more people we're leaving behind. Absolutely. And the the more we focus on the physical future, the things, the objects, the
4: stuff that we want to have, you know, that's, that's, when we start losing out on the, the social imp- impacts and the people side of the future, which is maybe not what we actually need because say we get what we want, say we all get a flying car and we've all got all the shiny gadgets, what are the environmental costs on that? Yes, you know, can that? Is that actually sustainable? Because that's one of the big challenges we're facing as the world is the fact that as we get richer, because we are getting richer and life is a lot better to be alive today than it was to be alive a hundred years ago, you've got a much better chance of having a whole lot of nice things. But if everyone gets what they want, can we actually keep that up can we sustain that momentum or are we going to come into that whole thing with like dennis and daniela meadows talking about limits to growth and possibility of colony collapse for humanity Mm -hmm. at all yeah so we need to be very careful what we want and what we ask for that we actually see what that can be when we get there
1: and i think also something that i know flux trends um also really focuses on in in terms of the pillars of the future that you look at is also cultures and mm. you know what's happening um um the, the health environment so many people and I, I mean i've been very vocal on my um on my podcast, but also for a lot of interviews about that, because I am a professional troublemaker. There is a lot of corporate bullying happening happening out there. You, it's like you have a device with you all the time, so it's like everybody has access to you all the time. You never stop working. You get exhausted, then you lead into depression, and then from depression, you're going to bipolar, la, la la la. And then introducing in my in my mind, introducing a, a, a what do they call it? A health and health and wellness day. In the organization, mm-hmm. while the organization is merely the result to why people are going <laughs> mentally insane, it's like, you know, <laughs> is, is, is the thing is like, it's almost PR stunts. It's almost like we're not really mm. trying to get to the bottom of the problems that we need to fix. And I think solving tomorrow's problems, we need to get back to the basics and try mm. and fix the foundations, untrend to uptrend. hmm Yes,
4: absolutely, and coming back to uh, Beata's point with the whole thing of we need more voices involved in the future Mm. because we've got some people that the world is Inequal in almost every way but also unequal in, in, in terms of the platforms people have but the future is too important to be left to the most successful richest people in the world mm. they're the minority you know we don't really want to be living in a future that is designed for the few for the the 0.0001 percent rather we need a future that's much more inclusive and that involves all of us getting involved because we all do have an influence on the future so true Ideas have the potential to change things and mm. many people whose ideas have changed the life that we're living in right now didn't come from the most wealthy or most successful backgrounds they just had an idea that was worth sharing and worth mm. spreading so i would like to encourage more people to get involved in conversations about what is the future we want to live in i know life right. is hard and i know we've got bills to pay and things to do on a day to day basis but i would encourage everyone to spend a few minutes every day to think about their own future and their place in the the wider future going forward because that's how we we develop something that we're all involved in and it's not somebody's vision that we all sort of get dragged off behind. Mm. Love it.
1: Don't build somebody else's dreams. Build your own. Exactly.
4: Mm.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I think for me a big thing that, that stands out from our conversation as well is it just keeps on popping up in my mind that we need to be careful what we are chasing because yes. that is yes. really <laughs> dictating uh, a lot of where the future is going, so the shiny objects and stuff. But I think what's important is that for businesses – you know, what would make a, and I'm not asking you to give away your secrets here with your analysis, but especially for me, from an academic perspective, to us, it's very interesting to know what kind of methodologies are you applying so that we can share this knowledge with business people so that they can know that this is what I'm supposed to be looking at when I get a consultant in to help me, et cetera. So what kind of methodologies would you say are uh, ideal to be applied and um, yeah, to give to give the listeners some advice on that?
4: Okay, absolutely. So if you're going to work with a professional futurist in your organization, you'd typically bring them in before you start with your strategic planning season. Mm. So you almost got to see future studies as being something of a pre-strategy setup because we're talking about the external context that your organization could or possibly should find themselves in in the future. So you obviously need to understand the way the world could be moving before you can actually develop your own strategic plan.
2: Mm.
4: So what we typically do is work with someone to develop Scenarios is quite a common common way mm, to approach it. There's opinion. many methodologies you can do, but scenarios are very tangible and they're quite inclusive. So you involve stakeholders throughout the organization and you work together in a workshop type format to try and develop your possible, probable and preferable features that could happen. And that's really to define the external environment that you could find yourself in. And then, of course, it's very important to start distinguishing between the factors that you can influence and the factors that you're going to have to adapt to. So mm. most organizations have a small sphere of influence, but they do have influence in their society. I mean, I am a marketer. I did study at UJ. So mm. I understand <laughs> that marketers are really very responsible for the world that we find ourselves in. We are the people who create the products and ideas that mm. drive society forward. We yes. are, it's our fault, <laughs> the, mm. the whole consumer society that we find ourselves in. So we do have influence on the environment, but we don't have influence on everything. So an organization won't have influence on, say, the potential impacts of climate change or they might not have the ability to lobby to change the government Mm. and those sort of structural external factors with workshop in that that sort of scenario process to define what can you control, what can't you control and what can you do with your locus of control to try and direct your ship of your organization, or your individual, because you could do futures for yourself too, just on a personal development basis, to try and try and nudge the future towards the more preferable scenario. But at the same time, the process also to look at what are the worst case scenarios or best case scenarios that you can't control and then just start coming up with preemptive plans to mitigate the, the potential problems or to take advantage of the potential opportunities that come out of those environments. So futures is really about trying to paint the picture of that full cone of possibility to give an organisation the clear picture of all the potential threats and opportunities available to them, it's like mm. a pre-mortem and a
1: post-mortem. Yes,
4: exactly. It's like
1: you you do need to look at what does the end look like and, and also the process mm. um, that it takes to get there. And then you also need to look at okay, we've done this and what what what, what was the results? Yes, and you know, exactly. just uh, just further to the point, something that I think. Is happening a lot in organizations is we're not taking stock so we do a campaign here in a silo department we do a campaign here this one buys this technology that one buys this technology but the technologies are supposed to integrate but they don't in- integrate can't integrate so we can't really do what we're supposed to do and nobody's taking stock of what's happening and what worked what didn't work why didn't work Because I think the best learnings um, for organizations is to understand what went wrong. Why did it go wrong? If I understand what went wrong, can I I improve that in the future? Because that also has a very important role in the pre and post-mortem. Yes, absolutely.
4: And then also looking at just being agile and being able to adapt Mm. because you might plan for a particular future, but then things change because unexpected events happen. But the whole process of future studies is not to predict what is going to happen, but rather to give people the tools to cope with whatever happens and Mm. to also have the foresight to start planning for to consciously create the best possible future that they have control over.
3: The world is getting richer. And I actually did an article in my research for this podcast and and i stumbled upon this article that also um was also profound and it says there that the middle class is currently expanding so which means that there will be less people getting rich but the middle class will be far more bigger so there will be more money in available to more people with disposable income another thing that is interesting is to, to say that there are now more buying power in the world so therefore we can buy more things But what is also very interesting is that there's a trend for big companies to lose income and smaller companies to increase income. Because in this new futuristic world, the mass marketing or the one product fits all type thing is going by the wayside. Mm. So people would like more customized things, and that's where marketing comes in, and marketing is becoming far more personalized. Uh, Mass marketing and even segmented marketing are taken down to individual levels at the moment. Um, But it was very interesting for me to read that big companies are scaling down Mm. and more new companies are being born because of the customization of the market. Mm.
1: And just further to your point, that is why customer experiences are so important and to understand your avatars, your personas, who these people are so that you can create bespoke experiences, bespoke products, develop and disrupt your own business model based on understanding what that cohort needs, and what what that is all about I mean that 's a, a a wonderful example absolutely, and even bring that back down to the consumer,
4: and that comes back to my point that everyone has the ability to shape the future, and consumers need to start taking responsibility for their part in creating the world that we live in, as much as marketers are responsible for selling us products and you know putting together great campaigns to persuade us to buy consumers actually dictate the way things go by voting with their wallets just like voters dictate where countries go based on their votes and the way they behave in civil society. So people do have power but they need to start exercising it consciously in order to create the future they want to live in. Mm. Because as you know as a customer experience expert, you know, people if people demand something, the company needs to follow that. Mm. But But if people are passive about the future and just consume what is given to them then yes, we will be sucked up into some Else's mm. vision
2: of what's going ahead. I think um, also to Morris's point about the the smaller organisations. You see a lot of these large organisations actually starting like smaller innovation hubs and stuff mm-hmm. because it allows them to be more flexible and more adaptable to the environment. But I think to me, is this the solution for for corporates to to make to create smaller pockets? So that they can be more flexible there, or is there a way for organisations to create a culture in general of agility uh, and flexibility? So that they, what, what would you advise corporates? Or how can they, how, you know, what, what should they be doing to have this flexible culture and to be able to to work with it? And what kind of tools, you know, can we, can we provide mm. people with? What should you be doing as an organisation in this rapidly changing world?
4: Well, I would caution against innovation departments because that's something we have seen in flux quite a lot because innovation departments basically are like a ticking the box. It's like having a CSI plan on your calendar. You Mm -hmm. do it, it's something that's done, and innovation is done by those guys over there. By putting your innovation department into a corner, you actually effectively saying we don't actually need to be innovative ourselves because we've got that. You know, we paid Mm. those guys to be innovative for us. So I would caution against that. And I would say rather you need to start actually employing corporate futurists, like to have a futurist on your board, someone Mm. whose job it is to keep their eyes looking Uh, upwards and outwards, rather than someone that's concerned with today. So I would like to see, you know, people having, you know, like the... The chief chief executive futurist, you know, on the yeah. board along with the chief marketer and all the rest of it, I would say that that's very important, and it's something that's we picked up. It's actually starting to happen even at a governmental level because there has been now appointed the first minister of the future in a country mm-hmm. in Europe, oh and wow. their job is sure. to think about future generations. So yeah. if you apply that same logic to your company, you need to employ someone whose job it is that also has influence in that organization, not ring fenced in a little department in the basement in the innovation hub, you know? yeah. but Rather, someone that has executive authority to actually think about the future of the business and leave the running of it to the other people who have to do that, because mm. obviously that's the challenge for a business. A business has to pay the rent today, yeah. and most businesses get caught, so caught up on that. You can't just say, "Oh, just just been five minutes thinking about the future," you know, on a Friday afternoon. You know it's yeah. <laughs> yeah. never going to happen. I've so been. that would be my challenge to organisations. Yeah. It's not something we've seen a lot of, but
1: it is something that is starting to happen in mm. in foresighted companies. Yeah, I do think that there's also a role to play for independence because once you drink the Kool-Aid and you're in the organisation your views are not um,
3: you're scared you're going to say something out of line and your job is at risk
1: exactly and you have to follow the bureaucracies and the corporate culture and sometimes having somebody come from an independent perspective that have no alliance Yeah, bring us in hire us (laughs) (laughs) we'll show you how but but I mean I'm noticing that for example with what I do in customer experiences because I I don't drink your Kool-Aid. I am the voice of the customer. So I want to hear what your, your customers have to say. The moment you join a company, you lose your voice. And you cannot be the voice of the customer if you, you can't if you be drink the Kool advocate. No. Exactly. And I think that's what's happening with futurists. And I just wanted to add one more thing before I forget. But I think the biggest challenges are also for organizations that are they weren't born in the cloud. They were born in bricks and mortar. You know, <laughs> they, like it's a completely different totally. giant mm. And, mm. and how they need some serious help in order to fix everything from the ground up, upwards, downwards, mm. sideways, vertically or horizontally, because I think they are sitting with the biggest challenge ever. One of the biggest questions for me is that sometimes the executive
2: board do not like the future. Let's be honest. You're saying, yes, yes get a futurist on board, etc. Yeah. But a lot of times people will come with huge data analysis saying that this and this and this is what has happened. This is what the data is telling us. And they don't want to believe it. So what do you do when people don't like it? And you get that a lot where they just go, this is impossible. No, not going to succumb to this. No, no.
1: Like with TV and radio and all of yeah, that, yeah, exactly. What no, that's, that's do a you do? That's a real do? challenge. That's a real challenge. But what do
4: you do with people like that? You know, mm. like, <laughs> companies companies that are refusing you bring a to broom. adapt mm. bring to, a to the future, yeah. they they're basically writing their own their own like you know death warrant. I mean, that, mm. that's what's going to happen. But you have to understand that some people are in it just to be the cash cow business. So mm. like what I like to say to people when I talk to clients, I say you have to choose which which game are you playing? Do you want mm. to play the long game? Are you building a legacy business? Do you want to be mm. a Coca Cola that's around hundred years time? Or are you playing a short game? You want to play the Slash and Burn game, the Mark Zuckerberg game, you know, get, a, get as much data, get mm. as much money as possible, and you know, you know, plan to cash out within 10 years and that's, that's it. Mm. That's a different strategy. And for some people mm. that are looking at that, that's, that's, that's a choice. That's a choice yeah. that you can make as a board, as a company, as an organization. And I think it's also a trend that we've seen very much in South Africa, whereas boards have started to be filled up by accountants. Mm. <laughs> and lawyers I know. and no longer being led by marketers and salespeople mm. and futurists we need more Hashtag marketers marketing. leaders exactly because <laughs> yeah. marketers are always thinking about tomorrow because we've got a plan You know, we've got a plan yeah. for the next product we're going to sell and the rest of it An accountant thinks about the costs mm. so an accountant is if they're on the board and if they're coming at it with that mentality they're probably looking at your business as a cash cow situation to sort mm. of farm it and milk it down to the ground and then go find the next merger and acquisition to yeah. keep the strategy going you're never going to win with a board like that as, mm. of, as a futurist but maybe that isn't their mission because every company has they have the right to choose they have the right to decide on that strategy or they've had their fingers burnt all no, they, they speak, you know, 55 yeah. plus and they're just waiting to cash out. Cash you know. out. Mm-hmm. No but commitment. if you fully your board with that, as an mm. investor, you might you might want to start asking yeah. a few questions. Yeah. So if you're an Does investor, investors do lead mm-hmm. businesses, just like voters so lead think. governments. So mm. as an investor, start insisting that the companies mm. you invest in, if you're looking for a long-term yeah. solid growth investment, mm. are actually starting to ask these questions. So once again, mm. I'd bring it back to the individuals, the investor, the consumer, the voter, mm. ask questions. Get involved with your own
2: future. Otherwise, you're gonna get sucked yeah. up in the future of that accountant that
1: just mm. wants
4: an
2: easy life. <laughs> and I think that's something that the businesses, you know, the business audience can take with them is you need a well balanced board. It's Correct. Got something of everything. Because Absolutely. Yeah. Too much like mindedness. And you need some more marketers on there. Come on, definitely. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> marketers
1: <laughs> rule the world. <laughs> I have to tell you the most interesting story. So I interviewed Adriana mare um, yeah, um from she, Mars the, one. <laughs> yeah, Mars one project. Um she was one of the top one one hundred um, candidates to to go and go she got through to the top one hundred. Before we actually started the podcast, we were having this conversation and I was like, How are you guys gonna keep each other entertained? Like I had the weirdest questions that I didn't want to ask on there. <laughs> like, you know, what if you have the most boring people around you? And she said you know that the whole idea of going to Mars is that you can't just have one skill. So she used to be a bartender, Um you know, maybe um, in gaming and maybe there's all of these other type of mm-hmm. things. So you literally cannot just have one skill as being a biologist. You have to have like three to six different skills that you bring to the party
0: mm-hmm.
1: so that... You can use that to start and create a new colony. I mean, it's bizarre talking about this, but I mean, if you bring <laughs> it back, if you bring it back to, it to business, it's, it's getting into a place where it's not just co-creation, but co-action is like having common goals in place and set, set, okay, say, here we are, here we're going. And actually, stop taking things so, so personally um you know some people have skills leverage those skills and see how you can actually build something amazing within your business because look at some of the biggest ideas like the please call me that was developed um, by Vodacom. i mean that came out of the finance finance department it didn't come out of the innovations department unless i've got the story wrong Mm. No, oh, but that's the, a
4: complicated story. I'm not going to comment on that. that so that's right? Mm. Yeah, there was a lawsuit,
2: and it Yeah, it still is. Yeah, is. It's hmm. a lawsuit,
1: but, the, but apart from the lawsuit, because I, I think how how the company dealt with it was wrong. Mm. But I mean, this guy was was um, in my in my personal view, <laughs> everybody is entitled to one. But I mean, the person, the, the thing that I really want to get across here is that sometimes your ideas are not sitting in your own department. Mm. And, and some people have skills, some people are musicians, mm-hmm. some people are creative, and they can bring another flair, even though they don't want to work in your department, mm-hmm. but they can collaborate with you. Yes, absolutely.
4: I would definitely say that's one of the skills that organizations can apply very quickly Mm. is to start breaking down silos and to create more nodes in your network because any network is only as strong as as many nodes as it has. So the more nodes you have, the more resilient your organization is and the quicker that information can flow around. It also means that if somebody leaves that you don't lose that organizational knowledge. Think of it as your organization like a brain. You want as many connections Mm. as possible because that's how things shuffle around. Correct. So I'll just bring up one case study there that i I think is really cool because they're South African but mm-hmm. Mr. Price does this yeah so on the last Friday of every month they get a minibus taxi and they pack that taxi full of random people from the organization so you could be anything from like the T-girl to board member to marketing sales Love factory it. whatever they get 20, of those, 20 or so those people I have many people put in a minibus taxi I'm not an expert on that and they go <laughs> drive around and do a tour of Mr. Price's history so they go visit some <gasps> of their stores they go to their factory and they spend the day together creating those nodes between different people oh, wow. I love that. Which is just so cool. Like so like that's that's a yeah. great way to start sharing ideation, but that's where the conversations come that are going to start mm. directing your future. I mean, as I said, the future is too important to leave it up to, you know, three guys in the boardroom, right?
2: Yeah. yeah. I just <laughs> love it when you see companies are doing, they've got an actual workable, creative way of which they are doing something that Love to me it. is it's really cool
4: yeah thinking a so d- cool. bit differently mm. that that's a business that's playing the long game i mean yeah. if, you, if you're playing the short game to sort of you know extract shareholder value and cash out you're not going to do that yeah. but if you're playing the long game that's when things get really exciting and that's when it's worth having a futurist yeah
3: and i just want to bring this uh, conversation sorry i want to bring this effort. conversation back for from business boardroom Mm. to to the consumer (laughs) and and what the consumer can do in being more in line with the future i love what bronwyn said now and and that stuck to my to my mind vote with your wallet so support those companies that you that if you don't like what they are doing then don't buy their products or don't support them but i also in my research i also stumbled across another article where they say that um so even though you may not support a company, you still have the right to vote with your voice. One trend that's being picked up from the future is that companies can no longer stand with their back against the wall and and the back is covered. You are now exposed because we have things like uh, columns and things where people can give their opinions. TripAdvisor is an amazing thing. So if you book a holiday, what's the first thing you do? You go to TripAdvisor and see mm. how many mm. bad there experiences they had, how <laughs> many good experiences they had, what is the overall rating of this. And if it's got a bad rating, I'm not going to go there. Yeah. So companies are now also looking at these things, and that is also a way for the, from the, for, for the current customer to vote in the future. If you don't agree, then voice your concern mm. and don't support them. Yeah. I just find it very, very interesting that – especially with the millennials that we're getting in now, they will not support a company online if they've not read the reviews. That to me is quite a phenomenal aspect.
1: Faith Popcorn, who's the Nostradamus of marketing. She's so cute. I I love love her. her. (laughs) She came up with The Future of Masculinity. She wrote the book on that. I don't know if you've read it. You can actually download it for free um, from Faith Popcorn. But she she talks about quite um, a lot of things and one of the things that she said that marketers need to start really embracing and understanding is that they need to know something of everything. It can no longer just be about technology, technology being the very least of what you need to know. And one other thing that she said for um, just a voting of the wallet where the dots connected in my mind is where she said that we are moving away from companies that can just sell their products. It's all about the value that you provide. If you're a business with value and integrity, um, companies now moving into the subscription models. So if you are a group and you have various products that you sell um, in different verticals, the customers will actually buy into, uh, let's say, Unilever. If Unilever stands for, for what put the money where the mouth is and they stand for what they say, the customers will actually embrace all of the products that that brand represents, the subscription models. So this is where things become um, very, very tricky. And there was a, there's a lot of the companies out there, especially the FMCG companies, that don't have biodegradable um, packaging Right, so they're all about protecting the environment, going out to make sure the water's clean, and we we saying all of these things. But the conversation is starting to be on the news channels. It's starting to be in news how everybody's obsessed with plastic, um, crack the plastic problem. You know, we need to solve it. And when it starts coming up that brands um, don't biodegrade, don't have biodegradable um, packaging, and harming the environment, questions are raised. Um, but you're but 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 you say that you're planting trees to protect the environment, but at the same time your packaging is destroying the f- the planet for my kids. So it goes into a, a very it, like you have to get into the business of value.
3: But you're, can can you guys see how the how the conversation has turned? How the future is perceived by the current customer? The future is green. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. The future is definitely green, and that's why you get all these pressure groups against certain companies against certain individuals and there are a few um, fashion designers who make wonderful perfumes that are being boycotted across the world because they don't see those people as being green yeah. the future is definitely going to be green
4: mm. yeah yeah well you can't have a conversation about the future not consciously anyway without mm. talking about sustainability this comes back to playing that long game if you want to play the long game yeah. we actually have to all be here to play
1: it mm. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask another question, Um, something that um, I I punt quite a lot is this whole thing of faux transformation. So, yes, yes. we're all Mm. about chasing to 2020. We all have to have our digital transformation, which is the biggest buzzword ever, cliche flexing. Mm -hmm. Um, That's that's happening. And at the end of the day is we are investing in state-of-the-art technology on old-fashioned business models. It is, it is a huge, huge problem because the person that's unhappy in the culture, they invested 20, 30, or maybe 100 million rand into a specific technology. They're not happy at where they're at. They move, and that problem becomes the problem of the, per, of the company that's <laughs> left behind with this problem. And it's just not getting to the bottom of it. And how do we address this whole thing of the future of business models? Because I think... People are not very certain what to do in this space because they don't know how to integrate and connect everything.
4: Well, it comes back to being conscious about being proactive or being reactive about the features So if mm. you've built a business and you're trying to sort of scramble to fix it, to go along with whatever the yeah. features, directions things are going in terms of technology or society you're not being proactive you're being reactive yeah and that's a short-sighted strategy so if you want to have foresight you have to start being proactive about that somebody's going to design the next business model either it's going to be you or you're going to follow someone and if you're a very good follower you might want to be number two but you still have to be looking ahead <laughs> to see where where things are going but I think far too many businesses are particularly in South Africa because things are so tense at the moment that the economy the political situation is scary for a lot of businesses and to because things are coming at us so quickly we're really thinking about being reactive all the time but Mm. unless you have to take the conscious step to be proactive and to start taking the space to look ahead you're going to be playing that game forever because the pace of change is not going to slow down Mm. that's just not the way the world works there's more people on the planet more people mean more ideas mean more things going on that's even if all technology gets blown up by solar flare things are still going to
1: move oh my Mm. gosh wow yes 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 Yes. (laughs) um Uh, uh, So something that's really evident to me as I'm sitting here and we're having this conversation is really the fact that there's more to the future than just talking about it. Yes. Mm. Well, you can either be a
4: passenger or a director Mm. of that cruise ship because, you know, the spaceship Earth is turning. It's going somewhere. So are you going to be a passenger or are you going to be a captain Mm. of that? And that's a choice for you and I and every organization to make. Yeah. Do you want to do that or do you want to sit back and see what other people come up with? Yeah, it's that whole thing of the
1: execution
4: chasm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but I've met a few people who I hope their visions don't come to oh fruition. So I would, I would encourage all of us to be a little bit more proactive and a little bit less reactive mm, because a lot that. of bad ideas floating around.
3: When you, build a, when, when you buy new technology or you, you try and get the future in the current situation and it's not working out, um, in South Africa, we have the thing now, and Brian, when you said you can't stop the future from happening or you can't stop the advancement of technology. Just look at South Africa. We've got the war between the taxis and the Uber drivers at the moment. Now, I always have this conversation in the Uber driver because I, I, I just find them fascinating and they are sometimes very well informed in life. Sometimes when, when, when I am at a certain destination and then the Uber driver will phone me and ask me is it safe because there are normal taxis around the area. These guys are well-informed, and they they have this conversation, and they said, these guys are actually living in the past. I'm talking about the taxi drivers now. Because you cannot stop the future from happening. Mm. And now we've got the situation where the old is fighting the new. Yeah. Mm. And I feel very sorry for the old, because you can see that they are going to lose this battle. Mm. And the future is busy happening. I mean, you, you can a, call on... Mm a driver on an app, and it's there within four minutes. And the cost is more efficient. Everything just works. You cannot stop the future from happening.
2: I must say for me um, in particular, I'm a huge advocate of gradual change. I don't, you know, enjoy the idea of rapid change because that's when things just get yeah, screwed okay. up. I and of consequences, yes, right? Yes, yes. And to Maurice's point, what I want to ask you is that we've got certain skill sets in our organizations right now but surely we can't build the future on existing skill sets. So what would you advise in terms of how do you create that culture? And perhaps this is something more for the human resource departments, but how do you source and look for developing the skills that are to come and get you know your company to be fluid, flexible, <laughs> to <laughs> yeah. go with it?
4: Well, I'll say that... What we generally tell clients is that you need to start thinking about that twin engine model of a business, which Mm. is basically the best analogy to sort of get people's heads thinking about this and saying like your your primary business is your focus. You've got shareholders, you've got employees, you have a responsibility to keep the lights on and to make money. Mm. But at the same time, you need to start investing now before that engine fails in Mm. the next thing, which might be different. It might be a pivot into a new sector, a new industry, a new business model. And you need to encourage that. So instead of having like an innovation department, you actually want that department of the future, which is a bit different. So mm. they actually have the leeway to start building that new business, mm. that if the, your primary business, the, the, the mm. engine falls out because now Uber comes along and suddenly you can't, you know, yeah. your taxi business doesn't exist anymore. You have a plan B that's at least mm. started seeding within your organization. Yeah. But the other key there is that the person that is running your current ship is not the person to be building the new thing. They have to share resources, they have to work in the same business, and have the same mm you know, idea of the future or shared value for what that core purpose, that core value of that company is. But if you've hired someone to milk your cash cow, that Mm. guy is not going to be the guy to drive your starship.
0: Mm. So it's a very
4: different person. And that's another challenge that we see with innovation and getting future ready is that companies say, oh, we're in crisis. Our industry is all going to the dogs. We've got to do Mm. something about it. And you try and tell the person that's been on your payroll for 20 years, working in a very process-driven role. So it's your responsibility to innovate. No, actually it's not. That guy has been hired to do something very different from what you need going forward. You need to hire new people because you can't necessarily just plug someone into a new role. Mm-hmm. And we think, and I think it's very unfair when managers and boards start looking to their middle managers mm. and their employees on a salary to say, it's your responsibility yeah. to take us to the future. No, it's not. It's got to come from leadership. And that yeah. means leadership has to be looking mm. ahead to say, this is what we're doing now, but we're also going there next.
1: Mm. I love that.
2: Yeah. And I would say just an emphasis also on. You know, tomorrow's example on the older taxis, you know, the older yeah. taxis you've got in your organization, you know, you have to be shame, don't stress, you know, get like gradually. <laughs> I don't know what other way to put it.
4: Well, eventually but they age out of the system, but you <laughs> Yeah, they
2: Oh my God, I know,
0: but I just, I really eventually. feel,
2: I just feel sorry. I feel sorry because I know how, you know, overwhelming it can be. Um and there's people that have been in organizations, been very loyal, been there for many years, and now you come and you wanna completely, you know, just disrupt everything. Um I think there there just needs to be I would like to call for an appreciation for this gradual change, but you know, obviously you need to get there, but you know, don't throw away that blood loyalty that you have in the company. I, being I too absolutely disruptive. agree. You <laughs> need to
4: look at running those two businesses. Don't you say, oh, we're going to chuck all this out and carry mm. on and do the new thing. You know, you've got a chance. You can you can run a cash cow business and have a bright new star on the other mm. side. Mm, you mm, need yeah. to then split that focus and that's yeah. the way you can sort of, you know, slowly ease people into the system. But that guy that's been working in that job is not the guy that's going to jump onto no, the new change. He's going to resist not. it and he'll probably sabotage your new business yeah. too. But oh that gosh. person will be very easy to play. <laughs> Into the new ship yeah. once it's up and running, yeah. so you can say we're not going to make you do it now. These guys are working on it. So mm-hmm. They're young they're and hungry. Starter. They've got the they've got the idea. Mm-hmm. They they are a different department. They're the Mm. department of the future. You're the department of Mm. of the present. Mm. So don't worry about it. When theirs is up and running safely and they they their cash flow is nice, you'll feel comfortable working on that Mm. team because you can then bring your your comfort based approach to work across. And that's how you do it incrementally. Mm. It's not incremental when you do nothing and you slowly run your business into the ground. Suddenly
1: you've got to you know close your doors. Yeah,
2: Yeah. that's That's different.
1: This was a very interesting conversation, and because we don't have enough time to unpack everything, if you go down the show notes in the link below, you are going to find a white paper that has been created for you and how to choose your futurist um, and to look at the future differently in collaboration with Flux Trends. And um, we hope that you enjoy that. Please share your feedback with us. But in tradition, we have a game to play, and it is... Game time.
3: Hello, my cousins. It's Barry Hilton here and welcome to the Carmen Murray Show. Have i got something lacquer to show you. I've got a game that I've invented called Smart Ask. Yes, can you be a smart ask? I'm sure you can. Most of us are smart askers, but this game, it's quite simple. It's split up into six categories. There's nine cards on each category. Every card has six questions. The dealer chooses the question. And all you have to do is answer three questions correctly to win the game. Is that easy? Yeah. Well, all of the answers are in multiples of three. So let's get ready to play the game. On your marks. Get it. Go.
1: Michael Jackson songs from Thriller. Even
2: what is that song again? to me.
1: The
3: oh,
2: librarian. Abazazaz. Abazazaz. Balloon.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dancing Ma-
2: Queen. Fernando. Fernando. Yeah
3: yeah yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Classical composers.
2: Beethoven. Yeah. Mozart Yeah. Chopin. Okay. Numbers.
3: Adjectives. Adjectives.
2: <laughs> yeah. What? What? what, what are
1: adjectives. Yeah. Adjectives. Boom. Okay. I'm oh,
2: very happy. Words
1: rhyming <laughs> with beer.
2: Sneer.
1: Queer. Nia queer. Oh, <laughs> cool. Plays by Shakespeare. Macbeth. Roman
2: Macbeth, Othello.
1: Okay, Jane Austen novels. Uh, Product Bridges. Oh. Persuasion. Um, Emma. <laughs> yes, Emma. Austen well, You can Jane say anything. Austin. Steven Spielberg films.
2: Uh, Jurassic Park. Back to Jurassic Park. Oh, you're right. <laughs> <grunt.
0: laughs> bye bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Carmen Murray Show, another solid gold podcast. Please take a moment to rate and share this episode with friends and colleagues who love customer experience and marketing just as much as you do. To connect with Carmen, visit CarmenMurray.com, where you will find links to her business services, future fit events, and biz community articles. Carmen Murray is CEO of Ouya Modern Marketing Services that empower businesses to deliver premium customer experiences, B2B, B2C, and B2B2C across all industries. Some of these services include research, CX strategy, persona development and customer journey mapping, CX audits, UX audits, and the connected marketer training in connected customer experiences mobile, data management, and AI. You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.